Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week, we're joined by community pastor Ian Simpkins as we conclude our series, Genetically Generous. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org. And remember, you can join us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30 a.m., 11.15 a.m., and 5 p.m. We hope to see you there. Whoa. I feel like that's like the coolest bumper we've ever had here. Right? I got goosebumps just watching it. I feel like I should have like come down through the ceiling or something. That would be more appropriate than just walking up on the stage. Well, good morning, everyone. How are you feeling this morning? My name is Ian, and uh, I'm thrilled that you're here this morning. As John mentioned, we're wrapping up our series, Genetically Generous. And if you haven't yet, I hope you will take a second to uh, take that survey, figure out what your profile is. And I, I actually think that a lot of us enjoy taking surveys like that, right? Like, I really think there are two different kinds of personality tests and personality surveys. On, on the one hand, there's like the DISC profile and Quest and Enneagram and Myers-Briggs. And on the other hand... There's the ones that really matter, like the ones on Facebook, right? You know, the ones that try to answer the question like, who's my pizza soulmate, right? Things like really in the nitty gritty of life. Either way, though, regardless of the kind of survey that you've, you've taken, you know that it's, it's not all puppies and rainbows with these surveys, though, because they often will include what we're going to call a shadow side, where on one hand, you see sort of the strengths and the motivations, but on the other side, you have the shadow side. And those tend to be like tendencies or motivations or things that either we can't see or maybe we choose not to see. And you may be surprised to hear this, but even Kermit the Frog has a shadow side. Did you know that? Maybe you've seen these memes floating around the interwebs. Here's Kermit talking to his shadow side. I just finished a great workout. And then his shadow side says, eat a whole pizza, you earned it. Does anyone have that kind of internal voice? Like after 16 seconds on the treadmill, you're like, time for Taco Bell. Yeah. The point is that we, we all have a shadow side. We all have strengths and motivations, but then we also have tendencies. We have things that can kind of kind of stunt our growth and they can, they can set in us sort of unhelpful patterns in the ways that we want to try and grow. So we're talking today about genetically generous and we're going to talk uh, in, a, in a moment about some of our shadow sides, our tendencies. But before we do, uh, I want to challenge you, if you haven't yet, take out your phone, download the app, take that survey. It's eight questions long. It'll take you less than two minutes, I promise. And while you're doing that, we're going to take a quick look at the profiles that we talked about in week two. Take a look. Everyone is born with the inclination to give. Generosity is in our DNA. But the key to a life of generosity lies in our motivation. And what might motivate you to give generously may be different than what motivates me. The six distinct generosity profiles can help us better understand our motivation to give. Cause movers are motivated by making a difference. They are the first to step up and be generous when a tangible need arises. Relational and responsive, cause movers like seeing how their giving makes an immediate and observable difference. Jesus tells a story about a cause mover in Luke chapter 10. We often refer to him as the Good Samaritan. Cause movers, you reflect the image of our generous God when you cheerfully give out of your motivation of making a difference. Budget keepers are motivated by being wise. With a high sense of responsibility, budget keepers manage money wisely and actually enjoy budgeting and planning. 
They approach giving carefully, asking, what can I afford to give? Budget keepers are generally comfortable talking about money. The woman described in Proverbs 31 is a great example of a budget keeper. Budget keepers, you reflect the image of our generous God when you cheerfully give out of your motivation of being wise. Faith stretchers are motivated by spiritual growth and see generosity as part of their faith journey. Faith stretchers stretch to give because they believe God will reward their faithfulness. But they don't necessarily expect that reward to be monetary. The poor widow who Jesus observed giving her last two coins is an example of a faith stretcher. Faith stretchers, you reflect the image of our generous God when you cheerfully give out of your motivation to grow spiritually. Disciplined doers are motivated by joyful obedience. The commands in scripture are life-giving to them. Disciplined doers give because God commands it in his word. The more consistently disciplined doers follow biblical principles, the more aligned they feel with God's ideals for their life. After Zacchaeus' life-changing encounter with Jesus, his joyful obedience was unleashed, making him a great example of a disciplined doer. Disciplined doers, you reflect the image of our generous God when you cheerfully give out of your motivation of joyful obedience. Community growers are motivated by being part of a community. They believe the mission requires everyone to pull together and do their part in a variety of ways. To a community grower, giving of one's time and talents is just as important as giving financially. They do give financially because they know it's important, but they can get frustrated when financial generosity is the focus. The community that Moses rallied to build the tabernacle was filled with community growers, so much so that Moses had to tell the people to stop giving. Community growers, you reflect the image of our generous God when you cheerfully give out of your motivation of being part of a community. Legacy builders are motivated by leaving a legacy. They want their lives to count for something both now and after they're gone. When an organization or cause captures their heart, legacy builders will make a significant investment both in the present and in long-term planning with the goal of leaving a mark on the world that is bigger than themselves. In the Old Testament, Boaz risked his reputation to rescue Ruth, becoming a legacy builder by restoring a family line that ultimately led to the birth of Jesus. Legacy builders, you reflect the image of our generous God when you cheerfully give out of your motivation to leave a legacy. Understanding our distinct motivation can help us grow in generosity so that ultimately, together, we can help more and more people find their way back to our generous God. Okay, so essentially we believe that every single one of us is wired for generosity because we're made in the image and likeness of a generous God. In fact, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave, that his giving was an impulse of his love. God is love, and out of that love he gave. And so in Genesis we're told that we're made in the image and likeness of this God. So there's not a single person in this room who's not in some capacity wired for generosity. All of us bear the image of this generous God, and so we're all 
wired to live generously. So these profiles are meant to kind of help us better understand, okay, so what drives us? What motivates us uniquely? And while each of these profiles are good, each profile also has a shadow side, a a tendency that maybe draws us away from what we were intended to actually live out. We're going to talk about that in a second. Uh, But first, I want to talk about a a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in Corinth uh, that was seemingly a little reluctant to give. And to kind of set the scene, here's, here's the context. So this great famine had kind of taken over Jerusalem and some of the surrounding areas. So Paul is writing some of these early church gatherings and he's encouraging them uh, to give and to give generously for the people who are experiencing this great famine. Rome had sort of this hands-off approach and so people were legitimately running out of food. And uh, as it turns out, the, the church in Corinth seemed a little reluctant to give. And so Paul writes this church in Corinth about another group of Christ followers who uh, seem to have a bit of a different take. And here's, here's what he says. He says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You don't usually hear those two together, do you? For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. That's key. Pay attention to that. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So essentially, the the Macedonians uh, would not be considered a wealthy community. They don't have 401ks or fancy cars or in-ground pools. In fact, how does Paul describe them? He uses the phrase extreme poverty, right? extreme poverty, but in that same sentence, what's he say right here? Rich generosity. It welled up in rich generosity. What what I think Paul is trying to communicate to this Corinthian church is that generosity is more about mindset than means. It's more about mindset than means. This church lacked means by most standards, but their mindset was one of that whatever we have, we steward. Everything that we have is a gift from God. Every single item, every gift, every talent, everything is a gift from a generous God that we are to steward well. I think often when it comes to generosity, we get sort of caught in this scarcity mindset, don't we? This scarcity mindset that whispers, I don't have enough. A scarcity mindset whispers things like, man, I see all the home improvement projects I still need to undertake until my house will be good enough, right? A scarcity mindset sees the car that my neighbor bought, which makes my car look like a toy, which I drive a purple Kia Rio, so mine kind of does look like a toy. Um, A scarcity mindset sees the vacation that your boss took that you still can't seem to afford. Has anyone ever had those thoughts before? It looks around at your life and your resources and it says, man, if, if only I had a little bit more. If only I had what he has, what she has. It feels like in a lot of ways, we're kind of programmed from birth to think this, aren't we? We're kind of programmed from birth to want what somebody else has, whether it's an item or a talent or anything in between. It's easy for us to look at what someone else has and say, man, once I get there and then I'll be happy, then I'll be fulfilled. In contrast, is the abundance mindset. The abundance mindset says God has provided. God has provided. The Macedonian church, I believe, had this. 
The abundance mindset looks around at everything that I have with gratitude that says that this, this here, this family, this relationship, these resources, this home, this car, whatever it is, with gratitude that says everything here before me is a gift from God. Everything I have, every breath in my lungs is a gift and I want to steward it well. I think that the Macedonians not only understood this, but they lived this out. They lived out this radical generosity. In fact, they begged for the chance to give. Paul says that they gave beyond their ability. Beyond their ability. They begged for the opportunity to do it. They gave, and then they even gave beyond their ability. How how is that even possible? I think this is the key right here. The grace that God has given the Macedonian churches I think that's the key to understanding how was this Macedonian community, a community that was not marked by wealth, able to give beyond what they were actually able to, beyond what even maybe seemed wise at the time. How were they able to do that? It's by the grace of God. Grace isn't something earned. It's not something bought. It's something given. The very center of our faith is a God that we didn't appease and appeal to, that we like did enough good deeds and said enough right prayers so that he would have affection for us, that in Jesus he pursues us and gives his grace freely to us. And I believe the Macedonians saw that and it affected the way that they saw their stuff. They understood that grace was freely given to them and began to loosen the white-knuckled grip on their items. Here's the thing that I hope all of us kind of wrestle with this morning is that this, this kind of grace, this kind of freedom of like loosening our grip on our stuff is, is not just for a select few. I believe God desires that for all of us. We can all experience this grace. Paul goes on in verse seven, he says this. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. He's saying, man, I've seen all the good stuff that you're doing. Make sure that you don't just simply grow in like talents and execution and ministries and programs. Grow in this this posture that says, man, everything that I have is God's. I'm to be a good steward of everything. I'm managing God's portfolio. So that's kind of what we want to talk about today. How do we actually excel then in the grace of giving, to become better at that part of our life? I believe that growing in generosity is something that God calls all of us too, and it's ultimately something he wants for us, not something he wants from us. If you've ever existed in a stage or season of life where you were like white knuckling everything that you had, you, you know that, that with that comes a certain level of anxiety and stress, and I believe that the gospel of Jesus is far more than simply, oh, he died on a cross so we could go to heaven when we die, but he came so that we could have abundant life here and now. And having that go from our head to our heart to our hands, I says, okay, God, what, what does that actually mean then? If you're a generous God and you've made me in your image, help me to be generous too. So as we've been talking throughout this whole series, we had a, a community attender who's this really brilliant business consultant. In fact, he works with companies to help these companies better understand what drives and motivates their clients. And so he, he created this, this survey and these profiles. And we, uh, we surveyed like hundreds of community people in the fall. And we figured out the different ways that people are wired. Like what, what makes you tick? 
What are the things that get you out of bed in the morning to better understand, okay, what what are some of the ways, if we could understand what motivates and drives us, maybe we can also understand what are some of the tendencies, what are some of the, the pitfalls, what we're calling the shadow side. And if we can identify those things, if we can talk openly about them, maybe collectively as a community, we can grow in these areas. We can be better at seeing everything that we have as a gift from God. Because I'm telling you, when, when that clicks for you, it's a better way of living. When we, when we don't feel like we need to stockpile or hoard our time, talent, and treasure, but we see everything as a gift from God, it changes the way that we live. Now, um, this is the opportunity to use the handout that you were handed when you came in. And uh, we're going to talk about three kind of key relationships with each of our giving profiles. Financial, serving, and relational. Financial is pretty cut and dry. How are we at actually giving of our money, our actual dollars and cents? The serving piece is how generous are we at contributing our time inside and outside the church? And then the relational piece is how how are we at actually giving of ourselves through things like the blessed practices? Now, if you've never heard us talk about the blessed practices, Here's a quick summary. The blessed practices, B-L-E-S-S, is one of the main vehicles by which we engage with the world and help people find their way back to God. And here's what the letters stand for. Uh, B is begin with prayer. Hopefully you won't be too shocked to find that we believe prayer is important. We believe that starting with the posture of prayer that says, God, how how do you want to work in this relationship? How how do you want to use me? Help me to be more aware of what you're already doing in our midst. So we begin first with a posture that says, God, um, you're on the throne and I'm not. What would you like me to do? And then listen. Listen means listening. It means actually spending time with people who are far from God and hearing their stories, hearing what makes them tick, hearing their sorrows. It it isn't quick to jump down their throat and tell them how wrong they are, how much better we are to like correct their theology or lack thereof. It just assumes a posture of like, man, I'm just, I'm just here to be in relationship with you. Tell me your story. The third is, uh, is my favorite and that's eat. You can connect the dots there. I hope that's That's just sharing a meal together. In fact, uh, the early church uh, rabbis had this phrase that every table is an altar. That every meal is this sacred opportunity to like pour into someone's life to help them know that they're loved and seen and known. That no meal, no gathering at any table is a waste. That all of those are opportunities to actually help people find their way back to God. And the first S is serve. Once we've prayed for them, we've listened to their story, we've shared meals with them, man, we just serve them. Like, what are the ways that, like, I can, I can bless you and your family? Maybe I watch your kid, maybe it's helping you with yard work, whatever it is, I serve you. And then the very last S is story. And that's when we share our story. And it's not until we've done the other ones that we then, hey, can I, can I tell you about what a difference Jesus has made in my life? The way that's transformed my marriage and the way I see finances and the way I see my time and the way I see my involvement in the community. But we do all those things first, and then we share our story. So let's start with the, uh, the cause movers. Now, if you remember, cause movers are motivated by making a difference. And you'll see in the graph that uh, in our research, you guys kind of landed um, average in all, all three categories. So that's, that's good. What, what I'm going to call your shadow side, though, I'm going to use the word control. I think control is a, is a good shadow side for you because um, you, you tend, I think because cause movers are drawn to make a difference, sometimes you're, you're more inclined to white knuckle your resources if you can't have control over exactly how it's used and exactly the way that you see fit. Control is sort of your 
shadow side, and if you can't have control sometimes, that you'll, you'll hold back your generosity. And I think a, a challenge for you, cause movers, is to commit to regular, sacrificial, cheerful giving as outlined in the New Testament, particularly by the Apostle Paul. And here's sort of your encouragement passage. Is that some people store up treasures in their homes here on earth. This is a short-sighted practice. Don't undertake it. Moths and rust will eat up any treasure you may store here. Thieves may break into your homes and steal your precious trinkets. Instead, put up your treasures in heaven where moths do not attack, where rust does not corrode, and where thieves are barred at the door. Essentially saying, man, maybe, maybe for you, cause movers, it's loosening up a bit of that control and just trusting that when God calls us to give uh, consistently, cheerfully, generously, that he knows what he's doing. That we can trust God when he calls us to see everything that we have as a gift from him. And that we, we don't need to hoard it the way that uh, Matthew is reminding us here. Second, let's talk about budget keepers. Budget keepers, you're motivated by being wise. Now, budget keepers, you actually like enjoy budgeting and planning for some reason. Um, and that's awesome. Like we, we need you in the community. Our research shows that budget keepers were among the most generous in serving. I think one of the, the really unique things about budget keepers is that you're actually pretty comfortable talking about money. Please keep doing that. We, we need you to challenge us to be more comfortable to talk about this stuff that like for a lot of us feels really taboo. Like, oh, we shouldn't mention that. We shouldn't talk about that. We need you to lead the way to talk about our resources. But here's the caution. I think your shadow side is risk aversion risk aversion because you're so responsible with your budget sometimes some not always sometimes God only gets what you can spare right God only gets the leftovers what what would it look like to give to God what is right and not just what is left to actually give to him first in fact your scripture encouragement would be this honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of all your crops now, first fruits uh, comes from this Old Testament temple language where God's commanding people to not just give like their sickly dying goats or the, the crops covered in mold. He says, no, 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 give to me first as a posture, as a way of saying, God, you are king and I am not. And I'm giving to you the very first. You budget keepers may need to stretch yourself in actually deciding, I'm gonna give God what is right, deciding for me and my family what is generous, what is consistent, what is sacrificial, what is cheerful, and to giving to God first rather than what's left over at the end. Okay, number three, uh, faith stretchers. Faith stretchers, you're motivated by spiritual growth. In fact, you see generosity as like a really integral part of your faith journey, which is absolutely true. We need you to keep talking about that. Generosity is like one of the main vehicles by which I believe God grows us and he deepens our faith because it's a way of saying, I'm not trusting my own security, my own wealth and the things that I can accomplish on my own, but I'm trusting an almighty and loving father. We need you to keep talking about that. In our research, you were among the top in giving relationally, but you also tended to struggle in the area of serving. Now, your, your relational giving is really important, and we need you to keep leading the way in this community. We need you to keep challenging us to take risks. That's so important as a community that we learn to take risks, but it seems that your shadow side might be busyness. It might be busyness. 
my guess is that maybe you've like packed your life full of so many activities, probably a lot of good activities, that you find it hard to actually carve out time and space to serve. What maybe do you need to say no to so that you can create space to grow in generosity, in service, to serving one another, to joining a team, to serving in that capacity? Your word of encouragement today is First Peter says, each of you, and I actually looked this up in the Greek. Do you guys know what each of you means? Uh, it means each of you. That's it. Um, <laughs> all of us. Every one of us should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That's all of us. Regardless of what kind of condition you came in here this morning, I believe that God has wired all of us with unique gifts and talents to bring hope and healing to a hurting world. Period. And so we need to actually begin to open our eyes and ask God for the courage to see the ways that he's equipped us so that we can say no to even some good things so that we can say yes to the best things. Okay, next is uh, discipline doers. Discipline doers, you are motivated by joyful obedience. Our research revealed that you tend to prioritize financial generosity probably because like, you see the commands in scripture as kind of black and white. Like for you, you perhaps felt this way. Like, why are we debating this? Like, it's pretty clear in Scripture that we're to live generously. For, for you, maybe you're a disciplined doer because it's just clear. It's just, it's black and white for you. Where you tend to struggle is relational generosity. Like, giving yourself personally, relationally. Don't, don't be afraid to talk about the ways that God is growing you in your financial giving. Um, but to describe your shadow side, though, I'm going to use the word Isolation. Isolation. I think disciplined doers have a tendency, not all of us, but we can tend to sort of be drawn to sort of the, the comfortable Christian bubble. You know what I'm talking about? Where you like look around and you're like, I mean, all of my friends are Christ followers and I only listen to Caleb and I wear like Christian ironic t-shirts and some of you are like, oh no, I'm wearing one right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> some, of, some of us will, will feel drawn to sort of the safety of like only hanging out with other Christ followers who look and talk and act and think the way that we do. And you maybe need to challenge yourself, ask God for the courage to actually begin to look outside the Christian bubble to help more and more people find their way back to God, to ask God to show you people in your sphere of influence, at your work, in your neighborhood, in your community who are far from God that you can give yourself relationally to to help them find their way back to God. The blessed practices are an excellent way to do this. Here's an encouragement from 2 Corinthians for you. God has trusted us, that's us, all of us, with the message that people may be brought back to him. So we are Christ's official messengers. Your, your translation may read ambassadors. We represent this God. It is as if God were making his appeal through us. Here's what Christ wants us to beg you to do. Come back to God. Maybe that language sounds familiar to you. Helping people find their way back to God. We are his messengers. We are his ambassadors. And so we can't just simply kind of have a holy huddle all the time. While that's good and right that we be in community and that people of the same faith are pouring into us and us into them, that can't be everything. We've got to be willing to step outside of that and ask God, help me to see the people who are far from you so I can give myself relationally so they can find their way back to you. Okay, number five, because you've waited so patiently, Community growers. Community growers, uh, I fit in this category, so we're just going to skip it. Number six. I'm just kidding. <laughs> community growers, you're motivated by being a part of a community. 
you have this crazy notion that like we're better together, that we're, we're meant to like rally together to make a difference in the world that we could never make on our own. We believe that God wired us for community, that life is lived better in circles than in rows. You're drawn to community. In fact, research reflects that you are by far the highest in relational impact. Like you love living out the blessed practices, maybe particularly the eat portion of it. Like that just comes naturally to you to give yourself relationally to to whoever you meet, whoever that you know. We need you to keep modeling that. Keep modeling this like holistic generosity in your life. But here's the name of your shadow side. I'm gonna use the word frustration. Frustration. I, I think because you have this sort of like holistic view of what generosity looks like, you maybe tend to get a little frustrated when we talk about like generosity strictly in financial terms because you see generosity is so much bigger than that and it is but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't also talk very directly about the the financial component did you know that Jesus spent like a quarter of his earthly ministry talking about what we do with our finances that that'd be like me taking like the like the first Sunday of every month and talking just strictly about money how awesome would that be right In fact, there are over 800 passages from Genesis to Revelation that talk about what to do with our stuff, our wealth, our possessions. So maybe a verse encouragement for you would be this. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying, okay, like it or not, money is an indicator of what's actually going on at the heart level, right? Like if your oil light comes on your dashboard, it's not letting you know there's a light problem, is it? No, no. So letting you know it's an oil problem, get some oil in that car. He's saying, do you, want, do you want to know what's going on in your heart? Follow the paper trail. Whether we like it or not, money seems to have some correlation to what's actually happening. It's easy to say that you're for something, but often our heart will follow where the money goes and vice versa. Where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. All right, we haven't forgotten about you. Number six, legacy builders. You look beyond today to your dreams for the future. You're motivated, surprise, surprise, to leave a legacy. In our research, we found that you're leading the way in serving our community. Like when a cause grabs your heart, man, you just lean in with all your time. Where you tend to struggle, though, is financial generosity. In fact, legacy builders, um, they answered that they actually tend to be the most stressed out, have the most anxiety uh, around financial matters which likely at times, to be honest, just holds you back from giving. It like causes you to maybe like grip a little tighter rather than loosen. That's why we're naming your shadow side worry. And this worry piece doesn't always correlate to finances either. Now, legacy builders, your passion, your ability to see beyond the here and now is so needed. We need you to help draw us out of like the grit of like the immediate right in front of us because that, that's such a necessary way for us to see like how, how do we leave a legacy that lasts way longer than just my individual life. We, we need your voice. And for you personally, I would offer uh, this word of encouragement from Matthew 6. It says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, about your body, what you'll wear, Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. He's saying, keep being wise, keep being smart, but don't build your own kingdom. 
God knows what you need better than any of us ourselves do. We can seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and he will provide. Okay, so we made it through all six profiles. Why don't you give your neighbor a high five real quick? We did it. Just tell him we made it. It happened. It sounds kind of like muted applause also, so thanks for that. Hopefully you learned something about yourself. But ultimately, here's where we're going. Here's where I'm on to land today because we can talk about all these profiles, what motivates us, what our tendencies are. But at the core, though, we need to remember the model of Jesus. No matter what we talk about, there was one central motivation to being generous, and that's because God was generous to us. Back to 2 Corinthians, we read this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for my sake, for our sake, he became poor, so that through his poverty might become rich. This God who stepped down from eternity into humanity, who stepped down from glory to be born to an unwed mother in a backwater province of Palestine under an oppressive government, he became poor so that we might know the richness of being a part of his family. We're not generous just because someone on a stage said that we should or because we took a profile or survey or read a book. We're generous because God was first generous with us, that his love compelled him to give not just a set of laws or ideals, but to give himself. And he invites us to begin to see everything as a gift from him. And friends, I'm telling you, when that moves from your head to your heart, when that reality really begins to change your life, It will change the way that you live because God didn't just simply come so that we could have an afterlife sometime when we die. He came so that we could have life and life abundantly in the here and now. Not a scarcity mindset, but an abundance one that looks at everything and says, God, you have been good to me. To look at whatever you have in your life with a posture of gratitude that asks God, how can I use this for your glory today? Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us with an unthinkable love beyond anything we could ever dream or imagine. And God, regardless of how we're wired, whatever our motivations are, whatever our tendencies are, help us to open our grip a little bit. Because we know that that holding those fists tight, God, it's also hard to receive things like that. And I've lived years of my life, God, gripping tightly building my own mountains, my own kingdoms. And I don't want to live like that, God. I pray that you would help us to take an honest look at how you've wired us, what our pitfalls are, and help us to trust you more and more each day and to see everything that we have as a gift from you. We thank you and we love you, God, and we pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen.